the storyline for the Florida Gators since the loss to Arkansas has been what the coaches did wrong, could have did better. We're going to talk about some of those things and some things they did well here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Tuesday. I'm Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with the whole nine sports, Giants, Country, NFL 33. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Also, if you haven't yet signed up for, for uh, subtext, it's a great way to support the show if you just want to support the show, but we do have exclusive content heading over there. You get one-on-one conversations with me, fun stuff like that, But and you'll get more in-depth uh, details to what we're talking about today. The Florida Gators coaching staff, I have no problem saying that I still stand by after Saturday. This game is on them. Uh, I understand that well, it doesn't matter if players don't execute it does because well coaches decide the players that are out there the players don't decide who's out there so if we talk about on offense common target has been damian george talk about on defense common target has been jalen kimber if those guys are out there and they're not making plays or they're making negative plays it's on the coaches to make that change but that's neither here nor there right now. What I'm talking about is strictly the coaching performance. And I do want to start with the defense, which I don't normally do. But last week, I spoke about how Austin Armstrong can get back to what Austin Armstrong got hired to do. When he was hired, he was hired to be this very aggressive uh, defensive lunatic basically not mad scientists like Jim Knoll. No, he was, he was meant to be a lunatic and he hasn't really been as aggressive as we anticipated him to be early on, whether it's dropping guys like Prince Lou Mamiellen in coverage too often, which by the way, there were multiple times during the game. Obviously I was at the game on Saturday, but there were multiple times during the game after rewatching where the commentators were like, why is Princely dropping back into coverage? Like, Princely Uman Mielin is your best pass rusher there. Why is he dropping back into coverage? Why are they rushing three? Because then two double-team Princely Uman Mielin, and there's really no other big rushing threat there. That was brought up quite a few times. Uh, so there's, I think that's pretty relevant to bring up. But there were some things that Austin Armstrong did that – against Arkansas felt a little bit more like the Austin Armstrong that was hired, like like the Austin Armstrong that Billy Napier hired from Southern Miss. I don't care if he was at Bama for a week, but it felt like the Austin Armstrong that we expected to be here in Gainesville. Uh, a few plays, I mean, even just the, the first, you know, quarter, you had, uh, they had the, the, Creepers that had Jordan Castell 
rushing, Princely dropping into coverage. Jordan Castell got the hit there, got the sack, I believe it was. Uh, might have been a run tackle for a loss, but it was a creeper. And I know that a lot of people hate creepers and uh, just because it felt like it didn't work Patch Tony. It's really been working a ton here, but it's those creative pressures that don't leave you vulnerable on the back end. And it worked. When, it, when you dial them up at the right time, they work. Uh, we also had a play in the first quarter that specifically I marked down because it was, you, they started off with six defenders on the line of scrimmage there, all in the tackle box. Offensive line made an, or offense made an adjustment and the entire defense dropped back or the entire defense shifted so that three of those front six players dropped back to linebacker spots. You had someone head up with the nose tackle, head up with the left tackle, or, or head up over the center was the nose tackle, head up with the left tackle, and right outside the outside shoulder of the right tackle, which is a bit of like a 504 look. And it was cover one and you blitzed and it, it was that aggressive kind of mindset that it's like, okay, this is what we were hoping to see from Austin. Armstrong. And of course he's blitzed every game. He's brought these out every game, but it felt like this week he was timing them up better and they were executed better than usual. And that's an important part there. Also just, you can't see every adjustment week to week. It's not something that can happen. And the Kentucky game we know that was a month ago at this point, and we know that there was a ton of just gap running from Kentucky, and it demolished Florida's defense. Against Florida, Arkansas ran counter. They ran power. They ran counter bash. They ran option variants of all of those, and they still had some good runs. Not going to pretend that it was shut down. But Florida was better at defending them this time. And I don't just mean, oh, well, they were going up against the worst offensive line. I mean, diagnosing them, they were quicker to diagnose them. Tackling still sucked. It was still bad. Not going to pretend that's different. But they did a better job making plays where they had to make plays. And being where they should have been. Which, again, you have to make the play to really get the credit but they were where they should have done. They were where they should have been. And that that's impressive or, or that deserves uh, a, a pat on the back here and there to just be there. Also, I will say that Scooby Williams and Manny Nunnery, they made their mistakes both in coverage and in, in tackling or run defense. I loved how communicative they were. Both of them were very, very uh, expressive Scooby had had the rock to baby call, whatever the call is. I love it. Um, you had Manny Nunnery. I forgot the specific play, but Manny Nunnery like went up to the defensive line from the linebacker spot. He padded over one of the D tackles. He told the edges to switch sides and the defensive tackle and the other defensive tackle to switch sides. And that was Manny Nunnery going up there and making that communication. And I'm sure that it was something where. Austin Armstrong was like, hey, if we get this look, do this. But Manny Nunnery still went out there and executed it. So that was something where Shamar James out for the year. Bright spot to see at least the communication was still there because that was something that we've talked about quite a bit where Scooby Williams and Shamar James have been pretty good at communicating. 
it was great to see Manny Nunnery continue that streamlined communication. I will say the lack of in-game adjustments against the quarterback run game were just unacceptable. Uh, Arkansas really started leaning on it in the last like eight minutes of the game and Florida just didn't really adjust. I mean, first and 20 in overtime and, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Some of the things that happened during this game, but again, it, it's one of those things where we know where I stand. Austin Armstrong should have made defensive adjustments in game. He didn't do that enough, and it, it's part of the reason that this team lost. And while I was watching the broadcast version, the commentators kept going, "Oh, this is a this is a, a Florida Gators defense that's having a great performance." What? I don't know what the hell game they were watching. Like they made some great plays, yes, but overall, this was still an Arkansas offense that executed at higher levels than they are used to. And I understand it's a new play caller and all that stuff. And he did a great job of being creative. First play of the game, he got creative. He had a double pass that should have been a touchdown. I get it. This is not a great performance by the Florida Gators defense. It was, again, a more aggressive performance, and it was a better performance than we've been seeing. But it was not great by any stretch of the word or any stretch of the imagination. And the offense similarly made adjustments, made some improvements, but also yeah, kind of pissed you off at a bunch of times. And we'll talk about that in a second. Before we talk about that, you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets after winning any $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action than right freaking now. Like I, I, I had some bets for Monday Night Football. Some hit, some didn't. That's how it goes. I did bet on the Florida Gators to win their game uh, yesterday against Loyola. That did happen. We'll talk about that game in a bit. Uh, Greg Zerline over five and a half points kicking. Uh, Tuli Tuipilotu getting a sack. He ended up having uh, two, I believe, against the Jets. I'm saying free money. Visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown. Kick off the NFL season. Remember that FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks again for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day every day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. And talking about this offense, there were adjustments made that I loved. Uh, we could talk about finally getting Trevor Etienne involved a little bit more in the passing game. Wasn't a ton. He, he had uh, two targets or two catches, less than a ton, but he got involved a bit. Montreal Johnson looked better in the passing game. 
However, I will say that I need to give credit to both of them, both Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson. I understand all the everyone just give Etienne the ball exclusively because that'll work. I get it. But both Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne had very good games as pass blockers. And that's not the sexy thing. But here's here's the part where you need to understand one of the reasons I care so much about running backs in pass pro. Having a running back that can operate in pass protection means that you can have more guys running routes. Okay? You can have guys running deeper routes. You can do that. Or Do we get that? We saw it a few times against Arkansas, Florida, trying to push the ball vertically downfield. We saw it with Ricky Pearsall a couple of times. We saw uh, Khalil Jackson get targeted deep, and then there was like probably should have been P.I. between the two Arkansas defenders, regardless of how you feel about the call. Florida was trying to push the ball deep a few times against Arkansas, and one of one of the ways they did that was by allowing Graham Mertz to have more time with running backs in pass protection. We saw it happen a bit. Trevor Etienne, again, looked great doing it. Montreal had, I, I remember one, there was one rep from Montreal that I was like, okay, that was like, like that was a genuinely great rep. So having those guys able to help in pass protection and not just be bodies that stand in front of you and get run over, helps open up your vertical passing game when you know, hey, we're looking for a shot here. Because their odds are running backs aren't going to be much threats. Yeah, they might be underneath options, but they're not really going to be threats there. Great. They did their job. I will say uh, the offense, passing offense at least, opened up a little bit more. You know, that they had spot concepts for a thing that we haven't really seen much, but spots, one of my favorite short passing concepts. I understand there's like a deeper option for it. I always care about the short ones there. Easy completions, catch and run opportunities. We saw, uh, I think it was Eugene Wilson, the third catch a ball on third down running spot. And he, he was the spot route, that little curl route caught it. And the way, first off, the way that Graham Mertz threw the ball was perfectly taking Eugene Wilson the third where he had to go if he wanted to pick up yards after the catch, and he did that. And again, secondly, like the timing was there, the route worked. It was opening up a little bit, and I know that we could talk about all the curls they want to run. Curls are fine if you have complementary routes with them, and that's what Florida had there with Eugene Wilson the third. And they went to the spot a few times. Uh, it might have been the because the broadcast angle can't see all the routes there. It might have even been the concept that they called the last play before the spike or before the spike field goal, whatever you want to call it, uh, where Arliss Boardingham had the catch and run. Might have been spot as well. Again, can't see the broadcast angle, can't see the rest of the routes run there. So just saying it, it was definitely brought up a few times to spot. It worked. We saw them trying to dial up double moves. We, Ricky Pearsall's touchdown when Arkansas fumbled the ball, Florida picked it up, and it was at like the 33-ish, something like that. Ricky Pearsall's touchdown ran a double move. 
got man coverage against the safety, cut out like he was running the corner, came in for the post, and was open, and it worked. We saw double moves quite a few times in that game. It was Florida opening up the playbook a little bit. Offensive line, still not good enough. One of their better games in pass protection, I'll say. I think they did, you know, about not as good a job as you can, but they did about as good a job as they've done all year, probably. It was definitely one of their better games in pass pro. Uh, This was also an Arkansas defense that I feel like wasn't as aggressive as usual. I feel like they they dropped guys a bit and they got they got aggressive at times, but Florida. I mean, look, your pass protection held up. Running backs helping in pass protection helped there. Uh, having Hayden and uh, Tony Livingston at times and Argus Boardingham at times all helped there. It was a little weird to see them go with more of the running back pass protection route here when they also got running backs more involved in running routes. It was just like one of those things where. I get it. Having a ton of plays allows you to do that more often, but it was just a weird way things worked out, but it was also, I don't want to say like great to see or anything, but it was at least a little positive, I guess, to see things open up a little bit more and see some guys actually execute better than we had seen them previously. My biggest issue, I think with the offense this weekend is more about Billy Napier than it is about the actual execution of the offense. Because I feel like quite a few times we saw them still, like we saw the Florida Gators offense still trying to get set up and still trying to go. And then you had the two timeouts you had to use in the second half to avoid delay of game penalties. And I get it. Things happen, sure. Not usually when you were the home team, but things happen. But for me, it's pretty bad when your starting quarterback is the guy that's pissed off about using timeouts in the second half to avoid delay of game penalties. Feel like that should be a coach thing to be like, hey, get the calls in quicker. Let's keep our timeouts because we might need them later. Just saying, think about it. If you had more timeouts on those last drives, maybe you don't go to overtime. You get more plays to get a little bit closer for Trey Smack. You don't need to do that little spike kick thing that happened with the substitution change. You're in a better spot to win the game if you have those timeouts. All I'm saying. All I'm saying about that one, but hey, at least the starting QB was the one that cared about that enough to uh care again to to get mad about it. And again, I, I saw him walking towards the sideline, going like this. And I don't know if he was saying get the call in quicker, or like let's go, like what's going on. But I saw him going like that. And to me, that looks like a get the call in quicker, like let's go. What, what the hell are we doing here? So that's what I'll say about that. For football, that's it for the day. Uh, we have another segment because baby basketball is back. Before we talk about basketball, today's episode of Lockdown Gators is brought to you by Game Time. If you're looking for last minute tickets, Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price 
And you know, if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. I bought my tickets a week ago today. I bought my tickets for the Arkansas game this past Saturday. Okay. Section 21, row two, seat seven. That is where I sat. You watch the TV. You could see me at least once. I, I saw myself once and I was like, cool, never looking again. So there's that. But game time is how I did it. I, po- I, I posted about it. I'll put my money where my mouth is. That's exactly where I did it. Download the game time app, create an account, use code locked on college for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. And remember that game time, last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Thanks again for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day every day. We are available daily and free reviews in the podcast. And baby, I said it a minute and a half ago. Florida Gators basketball is back. Both men's and women's, and they both won yesterday handedly. But what we're talking about men's basketball today. 1-0 start in year two for Todd Golden after a 93 to 73 win. 93 to 73. 93 points scored for the Florida Gators yesterday would have been the second highest total scored for the Florida Gators last season. Okay. So you you did that in game one. We're going to be happy about that. You look at the Florida Gators, recent years, things have been not bad, but, you know, a little rough at times. Last year, 16 and 17 season, didn't go awesome. But again, 93 points scored yesterday, would have been the second most points scored for the entire season last year. You look at Mike White's last season, which was the 2021 2022 year and 93 points ranking there because of course Mike White had that historically like slow offense 93 points would have been the highest points scored by six for Florida in Mike White's last season they did that against Stony Brook too uh so again I get it last night wasn't against a powerhouse at all with Loyola but you got the job done you did it 93 also would have been the most points that Mike White's team scored in 2020-2021. Sensing a trend, high-octane offense compared to the Mike White days. And again, like I think last year the most points scored for Florida was 102. Probably going to top that. I feel, I feel pretty good about saying that they're going to top that at some point this year because even last, last night there were some lulls at certain points. I do need to say that I'm a little torn on how good the defense was last night because there were certain points where they were completely dominant. Some points where they weren't. But, I mean, like, like starting off the game was one of the most dominant stretches that I've ever seen at any level of the sport. Okay. Florida started the game on a 16 to 0 run. 16 to 0. Loyola didn't score until we were 6 minutes and 12 seconds into the game. 
13.48 remaining in the first half is when Loyola scored their first bucket. At the time, they were 0 for 5 shooting with 5 turnovers. It's not like they were just chucking bad shots. They were turning the ball over, and Florida was taking the ball away. It wasn't just like, oh, stupid foul, stupid turnover, stupid whatever. No, it was that Florida was taking the ball away. And and it was just awesome to see this team show up offensively. You look at Micah Hangleton, had a great debut for the Florida Gators. You look at Riley, like, like Riley Kugel looked like the superstar that we've been expecting him to be. And and I realize that that sounds like I'm being like aggressive. I promise you there was nothing in that that was like, oh, he's been underperforming at all because Riley Kugel has been awesome since late in the season last year. But against Loyola, he had 23 points, four assists, three rebounds, six steals. Six. Fantastic performance for Riley Google. Just just all around. You look at Tyrese Samuel, 15 points, eight rebounds, three assists. Uh, Walter Clayton, nine points, eight rebounds, five assists, three steals. There was a point where he had like it was seven, five, and five, and we were still relatively early in the second half, and I was just like, it probably won't happen because th- this game's out of hand already. But how cool would it be if if he just like went off and had a triple double in his first game with the Florida Gators, and and he was like because he's a Florida kid and and there was so much hype around him. I was like, how cool would it be if he just showed up? And freaking did it. Didn't, but it would have been awesome. Uh, Alex Condon had like two of his first possessions on the court. Drain threes. And I was convinced that he was about to go off for 70. Um, He didn't, but you know, yeah, I was convinced. (laughs) But I mean, this was just a, a great performance for the Florida Gators. And I get it. It was the first game of the season. I get it. It was against Loyola couple things about that one we're gonna be happy like we're gonna celebrate wins i don't care who they're against you celebrate wins if they're good wins great two i i know that it's a one game and it's a small sample size and that we'll see how things go with a larger sample size early on this team looks like they have talent at the top you look at the riley kugels the micah hanglotons the walter clayton juniors you look at them and then you look at them potentially having the depth to go, what, nine deep of players that are getting consistent playing time. I take that. I'll, I'll take that almost every single day. Okay. Like, that, like, that's something I will take all the time. So having a team that at the top looks like they're good and, and can go nine deep rotation-wise – Probably, probably more realistically, eight to nine deep. That looks like a team that you can win a lot of games with, right? And we'll see what happens if injuries pile up or, or inevitably when someone gets hurt at some point, we'll see how that shakes things up. This is a team that I'm not saying is going to make a run. Like I said, my expectation is, na- is uh, making the national tournament. You could do that. I would be very happy. And if yesterday was a sign of anything this team can do, 
It's that I know they could put up points. And I know that for at least stretches of time, they can play suffocating defense, which is all you need sometimes. Thanks for making Lachlan Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free. Wherever you listen to the podcast, we'll be back tomorrow. Talk more Florida Gators football. Hayden Hanson joining us as he does every Wednesday. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with whole nine sports, Giants, Country, NFL 33, and I'll see you all tomorrow.